Good morning. It's good to see you here today. Good morning to you joining us online also. Glad you're joining us in that format. As Pastor Aaron did so well and covered so well, uh, the theme for 2021 for us as a church is discipleship. Uh, When we come to Jesus Christ, we're called to come and be disciples, meaning I'm conforming to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others and for then the glory of God. And I love the components of discipleship that were shared last week, and they're going to be part of the message I share with you today. So we're going to do a quick review of those components of discipleship. First of all, in discipleship, we're to have a change of perspective. That means our hearts are being set on those things above. Next, we're supposed to have this kind of content thing going on where we're ever learning things in Jesus Christ. We're becoming people more and more in the know about who Jesus is and what he wants to do in our lives. Next, we're supposed to understand that God's keenly interested in our character development. And frequently, I pray, I don't know if you do this, I pray, Holy Spirit, come and do that in me, which I cannot do myself. And so we're supposed to be coming more and more in character to look like Jesus Christ. And man, I tell you, cultivate is a great term for a disciple. We're supposed to be tilling up the soil of our heart, so to speak. We're supposed to be receptive soil so that God can plant his life into our lives. And we're supposed to do that very much on purpose in things like meditation on scripture or prayer or even talking with other Christians or seeking wise counsel become methodology for us to cultivate the life that God wants us to cultivate. All those things should result in compassionate service. We should be uh, uh, like Jesus Christ and Christ. He said, I've come basically to die. I've come to give my life and to serve, not to be served. And the more we have the heart of Christ in us, the more then that heart will be reflected in compassionate service uh, to others. And and so uh, the message today is going to contain these uh, components. And as as we're planning for the year, we, we usually plan a year out ahead. I like to do that kind of thing. I was talking with Aaron about possible series to uh, do for this year that would really help us with discipleship. And we both agreed that Ephesians, just going through Ephesians, is just a great book uh, to really talk on this topic matter of discipleship. So for the next four months or so, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians and looking on it then to set our eyes on things above, to be this great learning experience to develop God the character in us. And, and I pray you come as a, as a person cultivating your heart, receptive to the things that God wants to plant in them. And then ultimately that we uh, become these compassionate servers. Um, so let's, uh, let's go here. Are you ready to go? Are you ready for this? Yeah. Woo, someone said, dude, that was way better than the first hour. I had to do that. Are you ready? Like, finally, are you ready? And so are you ready? Yes, this is good stuff. We're ready to go here and really dive into what it means to be a disciple. Let me begin with some background uh, uh, of the Ephesians. Uh, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And through the Holy Spirit, he authored then the book of Ephesians that we're going to study. And there is a characteristic I love about the apostle Paul. Wherever he went, one of two things happened, and usually both. There was either a riot or a revival, but something always happened. And that's what God's word is like when done correctly. It either results in a riot 
or a revival. In Acts chapter 19, we're told that Paul ministered for three years in Ephesus and did mighty miracles, and the result was that that city was turned upside down. Now, Ephesus was no small town. It was over 250 in population, and it contained one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis. Um, it, was a, it was a large temple. It was in dimensions 135 yards by 65 yards. Any of you watching football right now? Well, yeah, I know none of the good teams are left, but still... You can still watch and still enjoy. Well, this temple was larger than a football field in dimensions. And those pillars were 98 feet tall. This was a, this was a big, magnificent temple. It's into this culture that Paul comes with the message of Jesus Christ and turns the world upside down. Now, the, the temple of Artemis was dedicated to the, to the Ephesian god um, Artemis, which was considered uh, uh, the goddess of abundance, in, specifically in hunting and wildlife. And so she was uh, often displayed as a goddess with multiple um, breasts, whatever you want to do with that, do with what you want to. At any rate, here's an interesting thing about the uh, Ephesians culture. Um, they had toilets carved out of stone, and they were kind of cold to sit on, so the very rich would have their slaves sit on the toilet to warm them up before they used the toilets. And I read that little fact. I wasn't going to share it, but I thought, ah, man, we humans are depraved, aren't we? Here, I'm going to have a slave to warm up my toilet seat. Really? You know, I mean, just think about that and, and how, how much we struggle with ill treatment of one another. So this city being turned upside down was a big deal. Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, so affected the town that a leading silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines to the Ephesians god Artemis, um, feared that they're going to lose all their business. And he incited the other silversmiths in town, the other craftsmen in town against Paul, and they had a riot, an uproar. And these rioters seized some of the friends of the Apostle Paul and carried them to the town's theater. And it wasn't like our little theater here in Brookings. This was a theater that sat 25,000 people. And, and this are the remains today. You can still see the remains of that place. I just want you to get some of the scope and, and largeness of this town that was turned upside down. See, whenever Jesus is truly preached, amen, it's either revival or what? Riot. But there's no neutrality. It's either riot or revival. And, and I love that about the Apostle Paul's uh, ministry. So with this bit of background, I pray for you and I this, that as we go through the series in Ephesians, that our worlds are turned upside down, that some stirring of our hearts happen, that we're so set ablaze that wherever we go, something happens, Amen something happens. And I pray that God uses uh, that way. So why go through a book of the Bible like Ephesians, like we're about to do? Why go through chapter by chapter and concept by concept? Well, as a disciple, now when I use that term disciple, remember, conforming to the image of Christ for the sake of others and for the glory of God. You got that down? Do you got that down? That's what a disciple means. Conforming to Christ for the sake of others and for the glory of God. As disciples, we need to let the Lord set the agenda. Often we don't even know what the right questions are to ask, so how do we get to the right conclusion then if we don't know the right questions to ask? 
Often in life, and I've done this, I don't know about you, but often in life, we're asking the wrong questions. And therefore, we reach the wrong conclusions. So imagine you're an, uh, a person living in 1895. Can you imagine that with me for a moment? And now use your imagination this way. You have a computer <laughs> that actually works, like our computers work in modern time. And someone asks you to do a calculation, a, a, a prediction for 100 years down the road. And the prediction goes something like this. Um, how many horses will we need to be using in 1995 um, based on today's population and expected population growth? And so you say, oh, I can, I can do that projection. And you begin to do that projection, right? And then pretty soon your computer begins to go, you know, red, warning, warning, warning. You may not even be concerned about how many horses uh, will need to be used because there's going to be so much manure at that time from all the horses that it's going to cover the world in 11 feet of manure. And all of a sudden you start panicking because of this prediction. And you go, oh, no, this will never work. What's wrong with that whole scenario? Horses wouldn't be around much longer, Amen. But if you lived in that time, you wouldn't even know to ask that question. Now, some forward-thinking people might be thinking, well, horses are going to soon be obsolete. But most of the population would think, this is the parameters. We're going to need more horses. And see, at times, we get to the wrong conclusion because we ask what? The wrong question. Why do we go through a book of the Bible like Ephesians? It gives us the right questions to ask. So that we can form the right worldview and get to the right conclusion. Second reason for going through the book of the Bible, and really Pastor Aaron, in the last couple of weeks, this is what he discovered, discussed so well. I was going to say discover, but discussed so well. Is, is, why do we go through a book of the Bible like Ephesians? Because it brings balance into our lives and full development. Full development. See, I think it's a real natural human tendency to zoom in on our particular interests. Are you with me on that? So in Christianity, we see this manifested all the time. Some really like the law of God aspect of Christianity. So what do they focus on? Everybody should display the Ten Commandments, right? And plaques, I have a plaque of Ten Commandments. I love those things. They're, 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 God, they're God's way to be blessed, really. Amen? That's why I view that God's law. Amen? Amen? It's not like it's negative. I don't, I don't want to even sound negative. I'm not negative on God's law at all. It's, it's a good thing. And then there are some who really focus in on mercy. I have two daughters who are spiritually gifted with the, the gift of mercy, and it's just a blessing to be around them. They are just compassionate people, very relatable, relating to other people, and very sympathetic, very empathetic, right? And mercy is a great thing. Nothing wrong with that, but should it be our sole focus? No. And then some might focus on end times. I think for the first 20 years of my Christian experience, I read every end time book scenario possible. How about you? Anybody ever have a topic tickle your interest like that and you just get consumed by it? Finally, after 20 years of researching that, you know what I concluded? I don't know anything. This is super complicated and everybody has a theory and I don't know which one's right. God will work it all in this time, Amen. So I kind of laid that down because it was consuming me so much. Well, then some look at topic matters like, you know, marriage or parenting, and they, they really, uh, you know, get into this idea that, you know, God has relational helps, and, but you can reduce the Bible to just a relational helps guidebook, and it's way more than that. Here's why you do a study like we're doing. Here's why we do multiple studies like this in, in, at, at Grace Point. is God's bigger... And more robust than our particular interests, amen? 
And at times we need to step out of our interests and we have to ask God, what do you want to teach me? How do you want to develop me? What questions should I ask? And, and by having that kind of a healthy diet, then we become people of robust, healthy Christianity. How many of you like smorgasbords in here? Come on. Do you like smorgasbords? Lots of people like smorgasbords, especially eaters. I don't even go there anymore because I don't want to waste it on my waist. So I don't even want to take and eat that much food. But I've watched people eat smorgasbord stuff. Men, by and large, will eat meat like crazy. You know, roast beef on top of some kind of pork loin on top of, you know, bacon and whatever they can find there. Pretty soon they just got this platter of meat and my heart goes, oh man, it's heavy for you. Literally, I'm feeling congested heart failure right now. Anyway, sorry. But you know, so they're eating meat and then, then you got the dessert person, right? I mean, if you got the option of 12 desserts, why not? And so just desserts get piled on. Very few, very few people, Heidi Hopewell being one of them, would put vegetables on that plate. Why? Because I want to give my money's worth, man. You know, that's what the guys would say. But, you know, vegetables probably are the best thing for you, but no one's going to say, oh, I went to this, you know, the smorgasbord and I, I, I you pile on peppers. What? You know, and I, I, I made sure I ate, you know, spinach. And what? No one say that. That stuff is like, that. anyway, you follow what I'm saying. And so we can't approach Christianity that way either. That's what I'm talking about here when we pursue our particular interests. We might be dessert people or meat people, but God, God wants a healthy dose of vegetables in there, amen, for our spiritual health. Hopefully this will be your experience over the next few months and the next year. Um, so it's time to get into Ephesians. But before I do, I want to read a blessing to you, a prayer blessing. In fact, I want to say a prayer blessing. Let me say it that way over you. And it's got to do with the components of discipleship. So if you want to, you can bow your head. But here's what I pray, that your heart's open to what's going to transpire here, that you're really receptive. So hear these words. May the words that I'm about to share with you from Ephesians change your perspective. May they set our hearts on things above. May you be open to the content, embracing what you need to learn and know, becoming a, a disciple who's increasing in their knowledge base. Holy Spirit, we invite you to this place. Form our character. We acknowledge that we're your masterpieces, and part of the process we're going through today is, is to become uh, that masterpiece you desire us to be. Lord, right now, we cultivate, we till up, our heart of receptivity. We, we are, are willing to meditate on the things that are being said today, to consider their implications. We're, we're, we're wanting you to plant your life in our lives so that what, what comes forth from us is things of the Spirit, Lord God, that we pray that. And then, Lord, out of all this, I pray as we, we leave today from Grace Point and go about our business, as those online uh, shut off their computers and go about their business, Lord, today, that we would be people who are oriented towards compassionate service of others, reflecting your heart, Jesus. May this be our attitude now as we enter into this series uh, on the book of Ephesians. Amen. So hear these words from Ephesians. I'm going to read to you verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached the fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven, on earth, under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Do you notice how he says to the praise of his glory a lot in here? This is good stuff. So a big thought that just bubbles out of this text, you, you, you can't help but see it, is that we who trust in Jesus and put our faith in Jesus Christ are the recipients of abundant blessing. Amen? And so what we're going to do today, and this is our big thought, but this is also a discipleship process. I just want to kind of clue you in where we're going. What we're going to do today is look at these blessings one by one, that are articulated here in this passage. And here's our big thought today. In Jesus, there is a plethora of blessings. And I use that word plethora very much on purpose today. It's a great word. Plethora means to be deluged. You just flood it over. You're just almost drowned with it. It's such large quantity. It's glut. It's overwhelming. It's overabundance. It's plenty. It's a cornucopia kind of experience. And some of you who have been around church for a while know what a cornucopia is, right? It's that thing that has like a basket with all the fall harvest flowing out of the front of it that we used to use about 30 years ago in in Thanksgiving uh, services, right? The cornucopia kind of represents this overflowing of abundance. So in Jesus, there is this plethora, this abundance. There is this cornucopia. There's this wealth of blessing to be experienced. And I tell you what, if, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you want to step into this blessing, amen? You want this blessing to be reality in your life. So let's talk about the blessings that are articulated here in Ephesians chapter 1. First of all, in Jesus, you have a heavenly provision, a heavenly provision. Paul declares in verse 3 that you and I as followers of Jesus are, are blessed in the heavenly realms. We're the recipients of divine favor in the realm of celestial creatures. In the context of the spiritual, then we've already triumphed, Paul is saying. Now here's the problem. Here's the reality that we have to face. We still live on this earth. And as Romans 8.22 tells us, all of creation at this moment is like groaning in the pains of childbirth. We're, we're going through these trials and these tribulations as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, 
the redemption of our bodies. And the reality that you and I face so much is this. We're going through all kinds of trials as human beings. We got all these cares of the world on us, right? Happening all the time. And then you got something like COVID-19. It's the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. Just when you think you're getting a handle on this thing, they come up with three eight, or four more bad reports, amen? And you just, you know, pretty soon you're just weighted down by the cares of the world. And Paul is saying here in Ephesians 1, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, what should set your perspective, what you should set your eyes on is what you have in Christ. It should give you the perspective that you need. And then the next few verses we read in Ephesians 1 are just a source of great comfort and praise. In love, God predestined us to be adopted as sons. He's made a way for us to become sons through Christ. And this is no last-minute, knee-jerk kind of plan. It was God's plan all along. Since the very foundation of the world, God intended for you and I to come into his presence by adoption through the work of Jesus Christ. So we have this great provision, Paul says, and if we're going to be a disciple of Christ Jesus, amen, then these kinds of thoughts should be what sets our perspective, should be the content that we're learning and studying, it should be what forms our character, right? We should cultivate our soul to be receptive to these things, and then we can go out and become true, compassionate servants of Christ in a very broken, fallen world, amen? So let's go to point number two here in the plethora of blessings. In Jesus, you have a favorable position. In Jesus Christ, you have a favorable position. Over the years when I was in Williston, North Dakota for 10 years, I coached junior high and varsity basketball a lot. And, uh, and I found that a lot of times you had to really talk on a different level to some of your players, especially the ones that put the time in and were really good shooters and maybe were going into a bit of a shooting slump. And I, I can't tell you how frequently I talked to such an individual saying, you've got to believe if you're going to be a good basketball player, a good scorer in basketball, you've got to be overconfident. You miss three shots, that just means you're going to make the next three shots. Amen? It's the, it's the percentages. And I, I had that conversation probably multiple times every year with players who would put in the time. Now, if you don't put in the time every time you shoot, then, you know, that's just an act of, I don't know what it is, of hope undefined or something. You know what I mean? But if you put the time in and stuff, then you've got to just have this kind of overconfidence, almost cockiness to the way you approach the game. Oh, I missed two shots? I'm going to make the next two shots. Amen? A good scorer will have that kind of mentality in, in, in sports. Otherwise, you're going to hesitate at the key, key moments and become one who fulfills their own bad uh, kind of thinking. And Paul assures us here of something. He assures us of this plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. That this is something that you and I can truly trust in. We got to believe it. And you know what? You got to be confident. You got to almost be overconfident in it, right? It's got to be what consumes you. It's got to be your perspective. You want to, you got to put some time into this, discovering who Jesus really is. You need to learn about him. You need to know him. You need to become satisfied in your soul that he is who he says he is to the point where you're just overconfident in him. And it becomes how you do your life. You just got to believe. Because if we don't do that, how will we as people of God take any risks if we're doubting who Jesus is? How will we become the ambassadors that he intends us to be in this broken world if we're still trying to work out some of these fundamentals? Work them out and then just believe them and live accordingly, amen? 
This is so key. Um, and Paul, knowing that this is so key, he gives us this great big position description in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. First of all, he says, in Christ now, you're holy and blameless. That's who you are. That's your status in Jesus Christ. Since God is holy and blameless, we can't have a relationship with him unless we're holy and blameless. And Christ came and redeemed our souls, and he changed our status from sinner to what? Saint, to becoming holy and blameless. Secondly, um, in this position description, Paul says, you've got to understand, you're adopted. Now, in that culture, in, in, in Rome at that time, an adopted child had all the rights and privileges as that of a one who was born of natural descent. Now, when it comes to our Christianity, who's born of natural descent? Jesus Christ. What are the rest of us? We're all adopted, amen? But Paul assures us, as adopted ones in Christ, we have the same favorable position. We have the same kind of privilege as Christ. And how is adoption made possible? Paul really is hammering on this, this point here. It's made possible because of redemption. We're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, um, we're told about the importance of blood. Here's what it tells us. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So God was saying, because you sinned and brought death, I want you to understand that that death needs life to take it from death back to life. And the life of the sacrifice is in its blood. Blood represents the consequences of our sinfulness, but also the redemptive activity of God in our lives. And then there's this great concept here that's part of, uh, of this whole little position description by the Apostle Paul of forgiveness. It needs to be set free from what binds to be granted pardon. And you know what I love about the Bible is so much that theology that's articulated in books like Ephesians is illustrated in the Old Testament. And so I want to do that for you right now, going back to Leviticus chapter 16. And I want to paint a picture for you of forgiveness that Paul is talking about. And I think it's part of the reason, because Paul knew all this, I think it's part of the reason Paul would just go, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, constantly throughout this, this, this note to us from Ephesians. But it, back in Leviticus chapter 16, God gave Aaron some instructions for the Day of Atonement. Um, this was their annual ritual um, where they would, you know, have their sins forgiven and, and go upon their way then that you, the, the rest of the year. But, but, but this was also a picture that was being painted of what was going to be accomplished in Jesus Christ, all right? So uh, God gives, uh, uh, I couldn't say Pastor Aaron, <laughs> not Pastor Aaron, but Aaron, Moses' brother, some instructions uh, for uh, atonement. First of all, they would, they would slay one goat. And that goat was sacrificed for the sins of people. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, you know that basically the tabernacle and then the temple, they were like butchering places. All kinds of animals were butchered. Any ever been around a butchering operation, anybody? My uncle owned the butcher shop. It smelled. It was gross. Guts everywhere, blood everywhere. And then, then Aaron was supposed to take the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it on the implements to make them holy. Amen? So you got the stuff being sacrificed and the high priest throwing blood every place. Sounds like a COVID-19 nightmare, amen? You know, this is going on and it's just a very visual picture of the sacrifice and what, it, what was required for sin. And then after that, the high priest Aaron was to lay his hands on this other goat called the scapegoat, confess all the sins of the people, 
And then that goat would be taken out in the wilderness and let go, representing that the sins are now gone. They're out of sight. They've been paid for by blood, and they're now gone. Well, in Jesus Christ, guess what? He died for our sins, shed his blood for our sins. It's been sprinkled on us, and he's taken our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I think Paul, knowing all this stuff, as he's sharing this theological big truth in Ephesians 1, maybe the picture of Leviticus 16 is in the back of his mind, and he just can't help but praise to the glory of God. Praise to the glory of God. Because when that scapegoat would exit and be gone, the people would jump for joy. They would shout for joy. Our sins are gone. Our sins are gone. Amen. And I think we as Christ followers need to understand in Christ what? Our sins are gone. So listen to this. You are a blood-bought, holy and blameless, adopted son or daughter of the risen King Jesus. That is your status. Amen. That is your position. Amen. That is who you are. Set your mind on that. Set your perspective on that. Dwell on that content. Cultivate that thing in your life. Let it just ruminate in there. That defines you. Believe it. Be overconfident in it. Be zealous about it. Amen? Let it consume you a little bit. I need to move on. Point three. In Jesus, there is profuse, profuse grace. This abundance of grace. Paul's specific terminology here is riches in grace, but it's free and abundant and it's adequate. It's possible for us to do some extraordinary things because of the largeness and the grandness of God's grace. Now remember, grace means God's empowerment to do that which I'm not able to do in myself. And part of the, of the outflow of that profuse grace is that now you and I understand the mystery of life. You know what the mystery of life is? It's all about Jesus Christ and life is found in Jesus Christ and uh, that's the mystery of life. I re- went to a church service years ago in, in San Diego, I think. Oh, no, San Francisco. Let me get the sands right here. San Francisco. Um, and um, I attended a church downtown there with my wife. And we walked in the church, and the vibe was a little bit bad. You ever been to a situation like that? You go, oh, boy, I wonder what's going to happen here today. And the pastor began to walk around in that sanctuary, and he began to whisper things in people's ears. So he'd go like the Ethan, I'm going to tell you a mystery, and he whisper a mystery into, I don't want to get too, uh, social distancing, sorry. Anyway, you know, but anyway, so, you know, Travis, he'd go whisper that, that mystery, and then he might go over to Mike and whisper this mystery, and everybody's getting this anticipation of, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's the mystery? What's the mystery? You know what I mean? It was pretty good pastoral stuff, right? But then he articulated what he said the mystery was, and here's what he said. Here's the mystery, guys. We put way too much stock in heaven. And you know what? We need to focus more on earth and things down here. And I kind of knew what he's trying to say, but it was a terrible way of saying it. Amen? He, he kind of basically said, heaven's not all that great, so live for the here and now. And I go, oh, no, 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 no. Heaven is that great. Heaven is that great. It's beyond comprehension. And when we begin to understand how great heaven is, then we begin to live this world, in this world, rightly. Paul had this understanding Paul said this, he had this balance. He said in Philippians chapter uh, 1, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, but die is gain. And then he goes on and says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, but it's more necessary that I remain in this body for your sake. See, profuse grace that God lavishes on us will give us that balanced perspective. We'll long for heaven. We'll long where there's no more tears and no more crying. We'll long for that. But that profuse grace will say, I'm going to live right now in the urgency of Christ-likeness. It'll have that balance to it. Let's go to one last thought here. This is point four. One last thing on our plethora 
of blessings. In Jesus, you're the recipient of the promised Holy Spirit. I just love the, the language that Paul uses around the Holy Spirit. He calls it a deposit. He calls it um, a seal. In biblical times, when you wanted to send a letter to somebody and make sure they knew it was the real deal, they would you know, close the envelope up or whatever and they put a, a blob of wax there and fix it with their seal mark. And then if you receive that, no, you'd know this is a real deal. This really came from this person. Their seal is on it. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is as you are filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, then you know you're sealed. You know this is a genuine thing. God's activity is being unleashed in your life. And then, then he uses this word, it's a deposit, it's a guarantee. And I, I love the imagery that that is, paint, is painting. So the Holy Spirit is a seal and it's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance with Christ. Now, here's how you can understand deposit. I I remember this well here. Um, when I was a young man and I wanted to marry my wife, Vicki, I went out and I bought something called an engagement ring. Some of you people have been through this, right? And I remember giving her that ring and saying, I want to marry you. Amen? Anybody remember doing that here? Some of you, if you don't, you should. Okay? And so I gave her that ring, but that ring became then a deposit. I'd entered into a relationship with him or with her, I should say, <laughs> with her. Um, just, you got that, it's with her, amen. And, uh, and uh, you know, and, and it isn't yet what it's going to be in its fullness, but it's already there and it's already happening, right? And there, there's this, it's like a guarantee. We're going someplace here. Something's happening down the road. We're getting married. And even now, though, it's good, and it was good, there's more fullness ahead of us, such as the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's good now. He fills us with the thoughts of God. He convicts us. He comforts us. He brings words uh, of clarification to us uh, about Christ and all that. It's good, but he's also deposited. It's like a taste. It's like, mm, I can taste this, and it's good, and I can, I can hardly wait to bite into it. Amen? And, and the Holy Spirit is, is a deposit of the good things that are to come. So, in Christ, we have this blessing, and it's a plethora of blessings. It's a deluge. And I've just shared some of those as provision and position, and it's like this whole idea of deposit. And all, I'm, I'm going to go through the message again. You can do that yourself if you want. At any rate, I want to bring us to this conclusion today. Um, it's, it's like you can see it sprinkled throughout the letter. This praise has burst out of, of Paul constantly. And here it is. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise be to his name. Amen. And that's how I want to finish. I want to finish with a praise blessing moment. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the rest of Ephesians chapter 1 over you, to you, as a prayer for you. And it's great in that regard. And it's also great in this regard. It is a model. What I'm about to read is a model of how we should pray over one another, especially other Christ followers. It's a model for you parents of how you should bless your children. You should put your hand on them at times and you should just articulate some of this blessing over them. Even if they're older children, even if they're your adult children, pray for them using this model. And it's just, it's anointed, it's of the Lord, and it's just a great tool. So I'm going to read this over us as a closing moment, but you understand this. This can be used by you 
to bless other Christ followers. This can be used by you to bless your children or your grandchildren or, or somebody that you know needs the touch of the Lord. You can use the content of this and pray that for them. Amen? And that becomes powerful and effective. So let me read this over you pray this over you. You can just bow your head. You can look at me if you like to look at me. You can do whatever you want that you feel comfortable doing here, okay? But just receive this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your sincere faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I say, amen. May it be so, God. Amen. May it be so. How about you? Use this as a model to bless other people. And I pray today that you would just take away what you need to take away. We've given you some helps, discipling with family and friends, asking those key component questions of discipleship for you. Use this and disciple this week using Ephesians chapter 1.